The case is submitted. We'll hear argument next in number 9068, Eddie S. Ilst, Warden versus Owen Duane Nunnemaker. Thompson, you may proceed whenever you're ready. <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit held in this case that footnote dictum... Would you speak up a little, Mr. Thompson? Sorry. That footnote dictum in Harris against Reed compels a federal court to presume that by summarily denying a successive state habeas corpus petition, the California Supreme Court intentionally waived a procedural default that the State Court of Appeal had expressly claimed 10 years earlier. In 1976, Respondent Nunemaker was convicted of first-degree murder. On appeal, he challenged prosecution evidence on Miranda grounds. The California Court of Appeal refused to consider that claim on its merits because, contrary to the State's statutory contemporaneous objection rule, no objection was made to that evidence at trial on any constitutional ground. Seven years later, the Respondent began collaterally attacking his conviction. The State Trial Court, the State Court of Appeals, and the California Supreme Court successively denied his petitions, all without discussing the merits of his federal claim. These were petitions for habeas corpus? Yes, Your Honor. At that point, Mr. Nunemaker then turned to the Federal District Court, which ultimately denied his federal habeas corpus petition on the grounds that he had, in fact, waived, procedurally defaulted his Miranda claim. He then appealed to the Ninth Circuit. While that appeal was pending, this Court announced its decision in Harris v. Reed, which became the basis for the decision below, reached without the benefit of argument or either briefing or argument on this Court's intervening decision. It was in the context of divining the unspoken intent underlying a seven-page State Court opinion that in Harris v. Reed, the Court held that a procedural default would not bar consideration of a federal claim, either on direct or federal habeas review, unless the last State Court rendering judgment clearly and expressly stated that its decision rested on a State procedural bar. So the holding of Harris appeared to apply only when it was unclear whether, in fact, the last State Court to write an opinion had invoked a State procedural rule. And in Harris, the last State Court wrote an opinion, an opinion expressly deciding the federal question, but no State Court in Harris clearly claimed a procedural default. By contrast, in Nunemaker, a State Court did claim clearly, in fact, exclusively as a basis for its decision, a State procedural bar. No State Court addressed the federal question, and the last State Court did not write an opinion. Mr. Thompson, as I understand the ruling of the Court of Appeals, it was based on the proposition that the Supreme Court of California, which denied a writ of habeas corpus without opinion in this case, does on occasion grant review 
of otherwise defaulted claims in, in where, where there's an original petition for habeas corpus. And so you can't say flatly that a denial of the writ is based on procedural grounds. Well, Your Honor, the uh, Ninth Circuit's opinion quotes your opinion and says that the Supreme Court in Harris discussed the issue now before us. And it then holds that the judgment, uh, that the California Supreme Court summary denial is a judgment under Harris, without reference to state law, it declined to look beyond the four corners of the California Supreme Court's order uh, denying the petition. And it, like Harris, did not distinguish between the exercise of a state's court's mandatory and discretionary jurisdiction. On its face, the Ninth Circuit seems to say that Harris disposes of this case, and I think that that view was reinforced by the fact that the Ninth Circuit unnecessarily raised the question as to whether or not a petition for review, not uh, that is addressed to the state Supreme Court's uh, discretionary appellate jurisdiction in a habeas corpus case, uh, if it were summarily denied, might not be a judgment within the Harris rule also. So it would seem the Ninth Circuit um, uh, takes a fairly literal reading of of Harris. It may be, however... You, you take the position that the Ninth Circuit probably relied on that footnote in Harris. I do, Your Honor. I recognize... And, and that footnote, I suppose, in Harris may be dicta in oh, any event. Oh, it's unquestionably dicta, Your Honor. I mean, those were not the fact... As, as described, I think, in uh, footnote one of the dissent and in the, the text of the opinion... The facts before Harris were that involved an opinion. Uh, I mean, what Harris involved, the application of the plain statement and rule in Harris, was really an application of the plain English rule. The uh, state interest at stake was in writing ambiguous opinions. Here, California is asking uh, that its state Supreme Court have the right to decide when to write its opinions, not how to write them. And the complementary federal interest in Harris was in relieving federal courts of the somewhat impossible task of deciphering all those ambiguous opinions. In this case, however, California simply asks that the federal court correctly interpret California law, and that once that is done, that that interpretation will inform all federal subsequent uh, uh, litigation. Now, it may be that the Ninth Circuit's reading of uh, Harris was reinforced by its long-standing misapprehension of California law, namely that the uh, California Supreme Court's habeas jurisdiction, because it is original, must be mandatory. Well, that is not true. Be what? Mandatory, Your Honor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't read the Ninth Circuit opinion that way. I thought they said that the California Supreme Court on an original habeas petition can and does on occasion take a case regardless of previous procedural defaults and decide the merits, but that most of the time it doesn't. And that, that's why it applied Harris against Reed. I, I, I don't understand the opinion that way, Your Honor. I, I believe it's an extension of what we in California call the Ninth Circuit's postcard rule. Back in 1974, they were faced with a problem of, uh, of what to do uh, with summary denials in the California Supreme Court when the issue was exhaustion. This is 
three years before Wainwright was even decided. These are summary denials of habeas? Summary denial. By that, Your Honor, I mean a denial. It says the petition for habeas corpus is denied. There is no explanation and no citation of authority. In order to prevent a situation in which the prisoner became a ping-pong ball going back and forth between federal and state courts, the Ninth Circuit created a presumption. And that was that a summary denial exhausted state remedies. We don't object to that presumption. We don't think that the state has any legitimate interest in exhausting the petitioner as opposed to his remedies. What happened was subsequently, in 1989, in Lewis v. Borg, the Ninth Circuit extended that rule in the context of procedural default. We don't accept that rule. I mean, the state interests are altogether different in the two situations. The Ninth Circuit's reference in Nunemaker to the California Supreme Court's original jurisdiction refers to its uh, holding in Harris against Superior Court. They do not cite that, but they do cite McClellan versus McCartney distinguishing Harris. I, I think that that's fairly clear. The problem lies in the Ninth Circuit's insistence that the California Supreme Court's habeas jurisdiction is mandatory. I mean, if it were discretionary. What, what do you mean by saying that jurisdiction is mandatory? What I mean, Your Honor, is that the California Supreme Court's denial represents its view of the merits of a habeas petition. And it is our position that they do not treat a petition for habeas corpus invoking their original jurisdiction any differently from a petition for review, either from direct appeal or from a court of appeals decision in a habeas case. The Ninth Circuit disputes that. However, and I understand that it's awkward for the state to come here and say that the the local federal court has misinterpreted Ninth Circuit law. There is an exception to that. California law. I'm sorry, yes, California law. There is an exception to that rule, however, and that's that's sort of a plain error doctrine. When it's clear that there's been an error, this court will correct it. I take it you don't, you certainly agree that the, that the, that the, on on an original habeas petition, the California Supreme Court can decide the merits if it wants to. If it wants to, Your Honor. You say if they, if they just automatically just, Say petition denied. That's a decision not to decide that, the case. That, that, that they won't. If they decide the merits, you think there will be an opinion? There were, under California procedure, if they're going to decide the merits, they will first issue an order to show cause. Yes. Under our law, that the, the case doesn't become a cause for decision without an order to show cause, and they will issue one and hear argument and decide the case. So when do we look when, when a petition petition denied? Uh, order from the California Supreme Court in the original habeas case cannot possibly mean that they considered the merits, found them wanting, and therefore denied it for that reason. No more, Your Honor, than an order from this court saying that well, your, answer is is yes. your answer is yes to the question. Yeah, I mean, it, they look at everything, but the criteria go far beyond the merits. Well, but what, 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 I mean, what's the answer to my question? I think the answer is, Your Honor, that it is not a decision on the merits. It is a decision that, for whatever reason, they do not wish to entertain the case. For example, including possible lack of merit. I'll, uh, in, in this case, possible lack of merit to the Miranda claims. I think, Your Honor, no, because in that case, they would what they would say is they would deny the writ and then cite to N. Ray Swain saying, which is a state case, saying that uh, you don't state a prima facie case. But, but where do we look for a, st- for a concise statement of California law on this? It's true there are some cases in which they do exactly what you have described, and then there's a whole string of cases in which they simply give a one-sentence order. Uh, has the Supreme Court of California ever come down with a definitive statement 
uh, itself about the significance of the one-sentence orders? Or do we have to just infer it from practice? Well, I think, Your Honor, as the Ninth Circuit has recognized, it turns on the nature of the state jurisdiction. If it's discretionary, if a, if a petition invokes discretionary jurisdiction, then the Ninth Circuit would not look behind it. They've done that in Idaho. Uh, just, just, they would. As I understand it, the jurisdiction is not discretionary uh, in the sense that they, they must, uh, in effect, entertain the case at length and, and come down with a discursive opinion. Uh, but it seems to be an open question uh, so far as what we have had presented to us uh, as to whether it is discretionary in the sense uh, that a denial does not imply a view of the merits. You, you, the parties here disagree, uh, and, and I want to know where we can look for a definitive statement of California law on that. Well, I think, Your Honor, where, where I find it is in the California Supreme Court's Manual of Practices and Procedures. <clears throat> we at page 13. The Court describes its where, own... Where do we find that in the papers here? Uh, Your Honor, it's not in the uh, record in this case. It's, it, copies have been provided to the Clerk of the Court. It's cited in our brief, in the Respondent's brief, and in one Amicus brief. And as a, according to the Chief Justice of California, some 10,000 copies have been printed and distributed. Yeah, what the California Court said there is that, as follows, appeals in all death penalty cases are automatically taken to the California Supreme Court. Other cases normally come before the Court either in the form of petitions for review of decisions by the Court of Appeal or as petitions for extraordinary writs of mandate, prohibition, certiorari, or habeas corpus. In these cases, the Court must decide whether to accept the matter for decision. Like the United States Supreme Court, the California Supreme Court has discretionary jurisdiction over many of the matters presented to it. Thus, with the exception of a relatively small number of appeals that come to the court directly, it has discretion to decide whether or not it will accept any particular case for review and decision on the merits. In other words, that the order saying a petition for root of uh, 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 habeas corpus is denied means we do not entertain the petition, we will not hear the case, it is not a decision on the merits, it is not intended to be a waiver of any procedural default. Is, it's substantially like a denial of hearing on, on a petition for hearing from the Court of Appeals? It is exactly. Exactly? Yeah. Like that, in our view, Your Honor, yes. And in fact, may I ask this question? Uh, supposing you had a case, and I'm sure there must be many of these, in which there was never an argument of procedural default, but there's just an argument about the merits of a constitutional claim, and the Court of Appeal wrote a long opinion denying a claim on the merits, and the petitioner thereafter went to the California Supreme Court and filed an original petition for habeas corpus. Would the entry of that order be a judgment that would be reviewable in this court, or would we then have to review the judgment of the Court of Appeals? Well, Your Honor, uh, you would have jurisdiction to take it, but under... Under your theory that it is the final judgment. Yes, but, but under, under the practice of looking through a discretionary denial order, and that would be one. Well, well, just a minute. Let me just be sure I understand you. First, if it had been a petition for review as distinguished from a habeas corpus, then our review would be of the Court of Appeals judgment, would it not? Yes, it would, Your Honor, in which case the state court would have, having reached the merits, right, we could not claim a But now my other hypothetical, the case like this one, where it's an original petition for habeas, then would not our review be of the California Supreme Court's action? I think not, Your Honor. You would, review, you would have jurisdiction to review their order, but... The only decision they would make is the exercise of discretion. Well, we only have jurisdiction if it's a final judgment. That's I why we review the discretionary. But I understand. You think we would have jurisdiction of the original habeas. 
No, I, I think what you would have jurisdiction to review is their exercise of discretion, which could, could be well, challenged. We, we review judgments, not opinions and so forth. It's a particular order that would give us ju- a jurisdiction. And, and in one case, it's the earlier order. In the other case, it's the later yeah. order. Well, I think what would happen is you would have to conclude that you should deny cert because there was no judgment on the merits. Now, the court could choose, I suppose, by analogy to its practice on direct review, to look through the state Supreme Court's habeas denial until you got a decision. Now, you should get one, even on habeas, because the uh, Rule 260E of the California Rules of Court requires a trial court, when it denies a habeas petition, to state brief reasons for its denial. In this case, you could look through to the Court of Appeals' opinion and reach the merits. I'm not sure that the court would wish to do that, because what it would do in practice is to result in allowing the petitioner to renew his petition for cert annually or even more frequently because he could always file a petition for habeas in California criticizing or challenging on federal grounds a decision rendered by a Court of Appeal or even the Supreme Court years earlier. And then if, if the subsequent habeas uh, were reviewable, then you'd get to, to review that cert petition uh, at least once or twice a year. Now, you might wish not to do that and say instead to the petitioner, you have quite an adequate remedy on federal habeas corpus. That decision, however, would be the court's and is not uh, uh, determined by the outcome in this case. All we're asking is that, is that Harris v. Reed, plain statement rule be applied only to judgments, that judgment be defined by state law, consistent with Sykes' Goal of you're just, you're just saying that this case, we should just treat this case uh, uh, as never having been in the California Supreme Court, and it never really was. I am saying, Your Honor, and, I, uh, I, and that you, you therefore that therefore the last court to uh, to have addressed the question is the intermediate appellate court, last and it state. relied on procedural default. That's correct, Your Honor. Expressly, well, yes, and uh, yeah, exclusively. In fact, did not discuss a federal claim. Yes, we're so saying you're really saying the petition for habeas corpus in the California Supreme Court was really the case was neither was never entertained there. It was just dismissed. That's correct, Your Honor, mm-hmm. and and therefore. A summary denial of a habeas petition by the California Supreme Court, whether it invokes their original or appellate jurisdiction, is, for procedural default purposes, a neutral procedural event. Well, now, it means to make, nothing. To make that decision, uh, the federal court has to look to California law to determine that in California that's the effect of the order. Right? Yes, Your Honor. And that, of course, is not what the footnote in Harris against Reed suggests. So you would have us back off from that footnote. Your Honor, I I would have the court honor the principle that the state court is is the ultimate arbiter of its own law. And I believe that the California Supreme Court has spoken very clearly in, in the passage I read, a passage which certainly would satisfy any plain statement rule, even if only because it's written for lay people, as the respondent will, will say. Um, but there's more. There are examples, and we furnish them. And N. Ray Joyner, N. Ray Jackson, those are two California habeas cases in which the state court quite clearly said that our criteria for, dis- for accepting an original habeas petition include the public importance of the question presented and the possibility of conflict below. Those are precisely the criteria that the California Supreme Court uses under Rule 29 in exercising its discretionary appellate jurisdiction. 
In addition, do you, think, do you think that we have to, if we agree with you, we have to say that the Court of Appeals misunderstood California law? I thought they just re- relied on Harris against Reed. Without any, without any, did you argue, make this kind of an argument before the Court of Appeals? We didn't, Your Honor. This, this very argument that you're making, that, that you should treat this habeas corpus petition when it's dismissed with just a blind order as never having really been in the court of, in the Supreme Court. Did you make that argument? Uh, no, Your Honor, there was no oral argument in this case. It was, the uh-huh. Ninth Circuit submitted without oral argument. All right, was it brief? Briefing was completed in this case, Your Honor, before you decided Harris v. Reed. Well, we were at a I bit of a disadvantage. Anyway, I think it, our re- well, it looks to me like the, the Court of Appeals just relied on Harris against Reed without any real close analysis of the of the state law, such as you are now presenting to us. That's unclear, Your Honor. I, 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 well, I think what, what is clear to me is what, if we go back, what will I happen? I hesitate to say the California that the Court of Appeals mis, uh, made a mistake about state law. I'm well, I have clear that they did. Well, I think it is clear. Well, they didn't say they didn't talk about state law like you're talking about. Well, that depends on the uh, uh, on the meaning one attributes to their reference in in the, in the opinion below to uh, to the fact that this is a petition invoking the California Supreme Court's original jurisdiction, because that's the phrase that they seized upon in Harris against Superior Court in 1974, I believe, in characterizing our our mischaracterizing our state Supreme Court's habeas practice. Well, Mr. Thompson, now, the uh, order of the California Supreme Court, the last order, denying the original state habeas, uh, was decided, handed down, before our decision in Harris against Reed. Is that right? That's true, Your Honor. And the Ninth Circuit opinion uh, came down after we had decided yes. Harris against Reed. Yes, Your Honor. In all candor, however, I, 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 I find it difficult to, to, uh, to assign a great deal of importance to that. And the reason is that the California Supreme Court has not perceptibly altered its practice since Harris against Reed. In non-capital ca- capital cases are different because the state Supreme Court has mandatory appellate jurisdiction and under its rules consolidates habeas corpus proceedings. And so in those cases, they will claim procedural default. They will use the words procedural default. They have not done so in any non-capital case, and in 1989 denied 550, gave 550 summary denials and, and uh, about 648 in 1990. They are not going to change their practice. And I think the reason for it is, is that it would put an enormous burden on them. I mean, it's one thing to cite state cases, as they do, Swain, Lindley, Dexter, because those cases show defects apparent from the face of the petition, defects not in the procedure below, but in the petition itself, such as not stating a prima facie case or uh, raising a question of Fourth Amendment law, for example, or state courts anticipated Stone versus Powell in that regard. Uh, those are principles that are fairly non-controversial. They don't require a lot of time to apply, not much judge time involved. Those orders do not even relate to individual claims, and many of the petitions present up to 16 or more claims. So there's not much time involved in de minimis drafting time. Um, those are easy orders to write. On the other hand, to, for the state Supreme Court to claim a procedural default is pretty onerous. The Ninth Circuit itself, in Bachelor against Cup, pointed out that most times it's more difficult to decide the procedural default question than the underlying merits. Now, what the Ninth Circuit is asking is that the California Supreme Court look at this petition, 
and then determine whether, whether there's been exhaustion, whether there's been a claim of a procedural default, whether the state rules uh, vindicates legitimate interest, whether it's been even-handedly applied, uh, whether it's truly independent of federal law, and whether there's been a, a waiver of that default, or whether it's cause and prejudice. I mean, this is an enormous burden on a court whose docket approaches this court's. They simply can't do it, which is why they haven't done what the Ninth Circuit wants. So in effect, the Ninth Circuit has given the Supreme Court of California an ultimatum. It says you have three choices. Either continue your summary denial process, and we'll view it as a ruling on the merits, and you will undermine the integrity of your state procedural rules and the finality of your judgments. Or do all this work that I've just been describing, adding at least 650 cases a year to your caseload, and that doesn't include the never-ending stream of petitions as predicted by the Harris dissent <coughs> that will result by guys who will, uh, prisoners who will keep petitioning until they get a suitably ambiguous... May I, may I just interrupt a minute? I'm trying to think out through the workload problem for the judge. And you're telling me there, there are cases where it's not clear on the face of the Court of... I assume they read the Court of Appeals' opinion that they're asked to review before they act on these petitions. And you're telling me there are a lot of cases where they can't tell whether the Court of Appeals has acted on a procedural default ground or some other ground. And how do we know then that it's going to be any easier for the federal district court who has the same problem when uh, uh, the petitioner files that complaint? Because you're right. If it is clear, they could very simply say yeah. this is, a, as you say, it is in this case, just mm-hmm. added a one-line order. Because, Your Honor, when the federal district court looks through these summary denials and hits that state court opinion, it'll apply the Harris v. Reed plain statement rule. And of the uh, State Court of Appeal, for, uh, for example, in this case... Well, but case, if it's plain, I mean, if it, if it is plain on the face of the Court of Appeal's opinion, what is the burden on the, on the justice of the California Supreme Court? Well, the, the, the question then is that they're going to have to decide whether there was cause or prejudice. Because if there, if there was, then the, plain, then the procedural default is forgiven. Or they could, they could decide in a given case, gee, maybe we should forgive it. Well, uh, it's enormous. And they, and they have to do this, not just once. But as to each separate well, federal claim that's why presented... Is there a, if, their, if their basis is there was a procedural default, and they're going to rely on that ground in, a, in the same kind of order they use now, why can't they just add the words for grounds of procedural default? Because then, Your Honor, they, to do that, they would have to review both, both the record to determine whether, in fact, it, it was the, the trial record. And they don't do that in a, in a habeas case. They look at the habeas petition, and they look at the opinion. That's the, that's, those are the documents... On, on which these are generally disposed of. I mean, after all, we had in 1989 898 denials. There were only 20 cases that weren't denied. Now, it cannot be. They look only the same documents that the district judge will look at later on, don't they? Well, I guess they have them available, Your Honor. I don't think they, that they, they, uh, they obviously are not uh, making the same uh, inquiry. I mean, after all, there's, there's another factor here, too, and that is that normally... Let me just ask you to be sure. Are you telling us that they do or do not read the Court of Appeals' opinion? Before? I believe that they do, Your Honor. But it's not easy to tell everything that they do because these are basically ex parte proceedings. Outside of a capital case, we are rarely asked to respond to a habeas corpus petition. And so there's nobody there on behalf of the state to urge procedural default. They may have to find it on their own. Not only that, right, but, but, but the, the prototypical uh, uh, cause for excusing the fault is competency of counsel. So now they're going to have to decide, the state court will have to decide the merits of the competency claim in order to decide whether to waive the procedural default. I mean, there's an enormous burden being uh, asked here. Now, they, have to, they either have to do that, <clears throat> accept the Ninth Circuit's rule, 
or renounce their original habeas corpus jurisdiction. If they do that, they can escape the Ninth Circuit's rule because essentially that's what happened in Idaho. And we don't think that comedy should force the court to amend the state to amend its own constitution. However, the court may get a little assistance from the electorate in that respect because on the 28th of January of this year, uh, Assembly Constitutional Amendment 10 was introduced in the state assembly. It proposes to curtail the California Supreme Court's habeas, original habeas corpus jurisdiction. And we hope that that doesn't, um, that doesn't happen. I don't think that would, that would serve anyone's interest. If I may, Your Honor, I'd like to reserve my time for rebuttal. Very well, Mr. Thompson. Ms. Drouse, we'll hear now from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This Court developed a bright-line rule in Harris v. Reed, instructing federal courts as to how to quickly determine if, in fact, a procedural default was relied upon in the denial of a habeas or in the state court. The part about habeas was dicta, was it not? Or the, the, the part where, and the part where it said, uh, if uh, the last opinion on the merits, and th- that's in, because what we were dealing with there was an opinion from the Illinois Appellate Court which treated both the merits and procedural default. Okay. I have two responses to that. First, um, the question presented in Harris versus Reed was, when you have an ambiguous order, what do you do? And I would submit that a silent order is an ambiguous order. Second... Are you answering the question whether that was dicta or not? Yes. Second, I would answer that if it is dicta, it's very well reasoned. Uh, in reviewing the Harris versus Reed oral argument transcript, I noted that uh, justices specifically asked questions regarding a silent denial. And I am assuming that that footnote came from the responses to those questions. So you, you say it may be dicta, but if it was dicta, it was, it was good dicta and it ought to be adhered to. Absolutely. Absolutely, Your Honor. It puzzles me as to where the burden, the additional burden, will come to the state courts to provide two words on a denial to tell the federal courts when a procedural default was relied on. Well, uh, Ms. Johnson, uh, I think it's, it's easy to underestimate that burden. Uh, I wonder how we would do in our processing of 4,500 petitions for certiorari every year if we had to give an explanation as to why we were, when we were denying for an issue that wasn't properly preserved below. Well, lots of times you just don't get into quite that amount of specificity when you're exercising discretionary jurisdiction. Well, first of all, the, the, the question here should be what kind of discretion is exercised by the California Supreme Court. I would note, first of all, that this court is in a very different position than the California Supreme Court. You are, after all, the court of last resort. And after you rule, that's it. The California Supreme Court knows that when it denies a federal, uh, excuse me, a state habeas petition, then more than likely that petitioner will move on to federal court. And what the Supreme Court does is relevant as to what's going to happen next. Second of all, as to the burden, the state seems to argue here that its position would not apply on death penalty cases. So we are not talking about the the cases that are the most troublesome to the California Supreme Court, and so no burden would be lessened there. 
In fact, when you look at the statutes in California, I would first state that this pamphlet relied upon is simply a pamphlet that is given to the public in the most basic terms to explain what the California Supreme Court does. And it is not signed, the, the, the introduction, in fact, is signed by Justice Lucas, but it is not signed by any other justice, and we do not know if, in fact, the other justices agree with this. I would also point out to this court that there is no way that either the state... Do you think it's likely that the Chief Justice would put out a book about procedures that the other members of the court didn't agree with? Well, let me... Let me the, the passage relied on here as to the different cases that the California Supreme Court deals with. It's true that in death penalty cases and in a few other situations, the court must render a written opinion. And it's true that there is discretion to be exercised regarding a petition for writ of habeas corpus and a petition for review. But it's also true that the two procedures are treated totally differently in California. First of all, uh, the California Supreme Court has a separate section of lawyers, researchers, to deal only with petitions for habeas corpus. Griggs versus Superior Court very clearly states that when a petition for habeas corpus is filed in the, in the California Supreme Court, the merits have to be looked at. The language, in, there, there are different sections of the Constitution dealing with habeas and with petitions for review. Does, there, does, Griggs, does Griggs hold that a decision following that review is necessarily a decision on the merits? You know, the, it does not, but there's a reason for that. There is no case out of the California Supreme Court which says whether or not a decision denying habeas relief is a decision on the merits. It, it sounds then as though this pamphlet, whatever its status may be, probably is the closest thing we're going to get to a definitive statement of California law. Well, let me get back to that. The discretion that they're talking about in habeas is different than the discretion that is exercised in a petition for review. First of all, when a petition for review comes before the California Supreme Court, it comes up with two numbers. It comes up with this California Supreme Court number and the number from the case below, indicating that it is one case. That the, and what the court is doing there is simply reviewing the opinion from the Court of Appeal to determine if a hearing, if review is proper. The Article 6, Section 12 of the California Constitution very specifically states that the Supreme Court may, clearly granting discretion, review the decision of a Court of Appeal in any case. When you look to the language regarding... Well, isn't, isn't that dealing with the petition for hearing in the normal course of direct review? No, Your Honor, they're different proceedings. And when, a habeas, when an original habeas corpus petition is filed, what the Supreme Court does, that is not a review of the opinion below. First of all, you must note that one of the well, main well, that, reasons... That was really my point, that uh, when you're talking about the Supreme Court of California reviewing an, a decision below, that's the process of a petition for hearing, isn't it, after the court? Correct, except now it's called a petition for review. Petition but that's for correct. Review. Correct, Your Honor. And when you look at the language dealing with the California Supreme Court's original jurisdiction in habeas, there is no word may. 
The words are required, as in Gonzalez, as in People Gonzalez, which was recently decided, and which was a death penalty case, I believe it's 51 Cal 3rd, should, in People v. Lawler, must, I'm sorry, it's Inri Lawler, must, as in Inri Hochberg, there is no may. Um, the Court of Appeals said it was limiting its decision to uh, original petitions for, for, uh, social, uh, for habeas. That's correct. And uh, I suppose if there's, a, uh, if there's an original petition for habeas corpus in the California Supreme Court and that court uh, just enters that, that blind order dismissed or denied, what was it, dismissed or denied? In California, it's never dismissed. It's always denied. Right, denied. I, I would think the, uh, the, the fellow who, uh, who has filed the pet original petition there and loses on such an order can come right here on a petition for certiorari, uh, and, uh, and, it, it, and we would not dismiss it on the grounds that we didn't have any jurisdiction. That's correct, Your Honor, and in fact... And although uh, we usually say that we, don't, we, don't, we only take cases from, from a, a state court that has decided an issue that's been presented to it. That's correct, Your Honor, and in fact... Or we, could, uh, we, we could theoretically, and actually, we could reverse the, the California Supreme Court. Absolutely. In fact, there have been petitions for certiorari from such a denial, as I noted in my brief, and this Court did deny certiorari. However, two justices felt that certiorari should be granted, and if certiorari was granted, it would run to the Supreme Court. Well, if it's a petition for review and this Court grants certiorari, the certiorari runs not to the Supreme Court of California. It runs to the Court of Appeal. When they, when they have just denied review. That's correct, yeah. Your Honor. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Certainly, uh, you, you acknowledge, don't you, uh, uh, a matter of California law. Yes. And, and, the, and so what we have to do is take our best shot at, at figuring out uh, whether uh, Californ the California Supreme Court itself regards its habeas petitions as mandatory or discretionary. Is that right? Is that a fair That's correct. But, you but there's, a, there's another question. What discretion is exercised? There is discretion to be exercised in a petition for habeas. For example, if a procedural default is found, there is discretion to forgive that procedural default. Interestingly enough, um, in the past, the California Supreme Court, and I can cite to you, these are in the brief, at least five cases right now where the California Supreme Court and one of the California Court of Appeals found a procedural default forgave the default, and then denied on the merits, or granted on the merits. Now, the, the discretion we're talking about here, uh, to make it clear, is discretion not to consider the case. The California... To look at the case and say, it doesn't seem to us important enough, or the probability of error below does not seem to us enough without really looking into it. It just, uh, you know, it's not an, uh, a useful expenditure of our time. That's the kind of discretion we're talking about. The California Supreme Court does not have that absolute discretion to ignore a petition for habeas corpus filed in its office. Mm -hmm. the and your authority for saying that are the cases, as I understand it, from which you were quoting the verbs a few moments ago? Correct. Lawler, Hochberg. And also, it's a what the Supreme, the Supreme Court has noted this in its actions. Behavior speaks louder than words. In approximately 40% of the cases where an original petition for habeas review is filed, 
The California Supreme Court, in fact, it, um, when it denies, denies the citations, either for exhaustion or failure or procedural default. That does not happen. I know of no case where the California Supreme Court did that in a denial of review of a Court of Appeal opinion, which also doesn't have two, two different formulations, uh, uh, denied or, or declined. Uh, whether it's on the merits or not, the, uh, the judgment of the California Supreme Court is always the same. It uses denied. the same word. That's correct, Your Honor. I, I suppose this would differ from state to state. That's correct. And I, I would like to point out that the Ninth Circuit itself has noted that. Um, I have under, I heard that the California wants California law to be treated the way Idaho law is, and I believe it's Oregon law in the other case. However, in Ninth Circuit opinions, the Ninth Circuit has noted that in those states, original jurisdiction in habeas corpus is rarely used, which is very different than in California. So Harris versus Reed requires us to look in a very searching way at the procedural law of all of these different states in order to understand the consequences of these orders? I don't think in a very searching way. I think that that determination would... You don't think we've given a searching examination into California law here this morning? <laughs> I believe that you have, and I, and I know the Ninth Circuit I thought has. the whole point of Harris versus Reed was to avoid having to do that. And it will, and it does. After we do 50 states? Well, the, the courts... Fifty times isn't so many, I suppose, it's, uh, well, compared to the alternative. I, I don't think that the, Do you that think this is easier than our having to just look to see whether or not there was a procedural default on the merits? In, in, Something in, we're familiar with. No, because that's only the first step. That would only be the first step. In I thought you agreed that uh, you know, Harrison against that there just ought to be the simple rule, either the Either the, either the last court that deals with the case says a procedural fault, or that's the end of it. I believe that. And you don't, and you say so. That saves you from from examining all sorts of. Uh, that's things. correct. I believe what you have here is someone, someone has to decide whether a procedure, a state procedural default, will bar federal review. That is state law, state procedure. The entity that is best suited to decide that is the state court, and the state court does decide that. And all that Harris versus Reed requires is the state court to state so. I, uh, I suppose uh, there'd be no problem if the California Constitution were amended uh, not to eliminate uh, the original uh, habeas jurisdiction of the California Supreme Court, but simply to make it clear that that jurisdiction is discretionary. I suppose it could be amended that way. That's correct, Your Honor. And then we'd have no problem here. We'd simply look to the Court of Appeals. That, that's correct. I, I would have another question, and that is, if there is no difference in the procedure of petition for review and original um, and a petition for habeas corpus in the state court, why do we have it? You're, I would think your answer would be, in the case of the amendment that Justice Scalia talked to you about, that uh, even though we're completely discretionary, so long as the California Supreme Court could possibly consider a defaulted claim on the merits, uh, uh, Harris against Reed wouldn't be satisfied. That's correct, Your Honor. 
Harris versus Reed is an easy rule to follow. What, do you think Harris against Reed applies to the uh, direct review procedure? It does apply to the direct review procedure. However, in the direct review procedure, the denial has to be taken in conjunction with the opinion from the Court of Appeal. Well, then you're saying it, 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 it really doesn't apply in the same way it applies in the, in the original habeas of your view. In other words, if, if this had been a direct review petition to the California Supreme Court, without, just a denial without any explanation, would we look to the Court of Appeals or would we say there's no compliance with Harris and therefore we have the uh, federal court has jurisdiction? I would answer that by saying, while it would make no sense in looking at California law to go to any prior proceeding in determining what the state court meant in its denial of an original petition, it does make well, more sense. I'm, I'm asking you about the other. No, it, do, it makes more sense. To well, I know do it makes that. more sense, but what's your position on it? Would you? I know the Ninth Circuit didn't decide it, but I think your opponent is probably as much concerned about that as, as this issue. I think the Ninth Circuit did clearly made a distinction between the petition for review procedure and the um, original petition procedure. And in the petition for review, because it has two case numbers and the petition for review clearly relates back to the opinion, that looking to the opinion as the last judgment would be proper. Okay. But when you have a denial of original habeas So you do draw a distinction between the two? Yes, I would. I would. Because in the, the, in when you have a denial of original habeas corpus, you do not know that, in fact, whatever happened in the Court of Appeal was relied on in that denial. What this ignores is the fact that the, the use of habeas is primarily to bring new facts before the Court. What about when the Supreme Court of California denies review but directs depublication? Or whatever the phrase is in California. That... And denying that doesn't make any difference in the petition for review procedure to that instant case. The only thing of, of de-public, de, mm, depublishing the opinion, that just means that other people can't rely on that opinion in arguing law. So as to the effect on that specific case, that really makes no difference. Can other people rely on it for determining what the basis of the, the, the decision was? I mean, if, it, if it's depublished and it states a, pr a procedural default basis, uh, does the depublishing eliminate that as the basis or not? Not in that individual case. Okay. But in an unrelated case, you cannot cite back to it because it's no longer law. California's procedure is unique. The, it makes no sense to argue. Harris versus Superior Court, decided by the Ninth Circuit uh, some time ago, found that a denial without comment is, in fact, a decision on the merits. The, it has been treated like that in California since that decision and perhaps even somewhat before. Cal the California Supreme Court knows that when people have a petition for habeas relief denied, they're going to go to federal court. They have been told, they have been told by the Ninth Circuit, as to how the Ninth Circuit will view their opinion. There is no reason to go back on that at this point. It just w doesn't make any sense. The, you must assume that the judges know the law. 
the I would say that the California justices are very aware of Harris versus Superior Court, and if it wanted a procedural default honored in the federal system, all it needed to do was say so. The The state here is asking, in, in effect, for a reverse presumption, as what this as declared in Harris versus Reed, where there is a silent denial. There's a danger in that because in California, if you presume that a procedural default was in fact applied, you might very well be wrong, and then the individual would be denied all habeas review. Well, do you think, looking at the record of uh, multiple proceedings in this case, that reasonable people would differ over the meaning of the denial here, absent Harris against Reed's presumption? This is an interesting case. We do have successive petitions, but all it, and we have two petitions in the California Supreme Court, only because Mr. Nunnemaker, who was in pro per at the time, was sent back to the California Supreme Court by the judge of the district court saying, I have no idea what the California Supreme Court meant in this denial. He went back to the California Supreme Court, and the second time around, they cited no cases in the denial. So but the reason for that was the fact he had another claim, an ineffective assistance claim, as well as a Miranda claim, isn't it? There's a concern as to whether that had been exhausted. That, that might have had an effect. And it's also possible that the court decided to forgive the procedural default. That's the problem that we have here. No one, the only, the only entity that knows, in fact, the intent of the California Supreme Court is the California Supreme Court. It makes no sense whatsoever to have other people guessing at what that intent was, either the federal courts or the petitioner. Now, if the, if the burden is going to be on the petitioner, I would suggest that then that the files of the Supreme Court, of the California Supreme Court, would have to be made open because there's no other way to, in fact, find out what that intent was. The intent should be stated by the court who makes the decision and not others. Of course, there may not be any single intent. I mean, uh, you, you may have had four justices vote for, uh, against, uh, 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 against your client, uh, each for a quite different reason. That's quite possible, too, so that the court couldn't even give a reason. If you asked the court to give a reason, it couldn't give any. And if that's the case, Your Honor, there has been no reliance. The procedural default was not, in fact, used. Did, did not, you cannot then say that the procedural default. I guess that's an interesting question. What if, I mean, you needed four votes. What if only one of them relied on the procedural? It's at least a but-for cause, isn't it? That's correct. Well, what would be the hardship to your client of having a rule that would say in a case like this, they're the last court in the California to pass on the merits of this claim, said it was procedurally defaulted. Every other thing has been simply a blind denial without any opinion. In that case, the last opinion on the merits controls. Excuse me, Your Honor? Any of it? I got lost somewhere along the way. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, well, what would be the hardship to people in your client's position of having a rule as to exhaustion that said in a case like this, 
where the last opinion in the California court system was the opinion of the Court of Appeal saying there had been a procedural default and every subsequent proceeding has been simply a blind denial without opinion of relief, that it's that last opinion dealing with the merits that controls, and therefore there has been a procedural default. If the, if the federal courts decided that that was the rule to be imposed here, or if, if the state court decided, no. there's, there would be a difference. So, uh, pre- pre- presumably, uh, so, so what, what would be the hardship to your client in this court uh, adopting a rule such as that? The hardship on my client would be that, in fact, perhaps the procedural default was excused and he should have been allowed to go into federal court to litigate his federal constitutional claim. He would be denied his day in court in federal because, court under because federal one of, Because one of the blind denials from the California appellate courts might have been on the merits. The problem is, is that exactly that, that it might have been, and you do not know that. In fact, in California... Did you say that there's a probability that that would have been the case? There's a po- Do there's you base a- your, your answer to the Chief Justice on the uh, mathematical possibilities of this happening? I couldn't state what the mathematical possibilities are, but... Not even a mathematical possibility? Well, there is a possibility. How about a probability? It's possible. It's possible, it's but possible, the problem but is... It's possible, not probable, is it? That the problem is, is that you do not know, and you're pre- if you presume that, in fact, that was what was done, you might be wrong. Uh, you, uh, does the, the California Supreme Court gets, what, 700 petitions for habeas corpus a year? I would... So, so, that would sound... That order of... And, and how many of those does it grant relief, typically, in a year? Very few. You, can you give me a, some order of magnitude? Five, ten? Probably. Maybe... May, pro, probably. But in, in death penalty cases... Um, the, the rate is probably somewhat higher than in other cases... However, what is ignored here that is that in 40% of the cases in California, as documented by both the state statistics and are looking at the same minute orders, that in fact California does give reasons for denial in 40% of the cases, which clearly indicates that California knows, the California Supreme Court knows that federal review is going to be asked for, and that an explanation of what their intent was is needed. Oh, I don't know. We, we give reasons. Uh, we don't expect anybody to be reviewing us. Uh, you, you give reasons. It's always a good idea to give reasons where you can. I That's exactly my point, Your Honor. It's always a good idea to give reasons. It makes everyone's job easier. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. Where you have four being not to take a case for a different reason. In that case, I would say, as I said earlier, the procedural default was not relied upon. May I ask you, maybe this is off the wall, but supposing the district judge was persuaded there was, uh, that they may well have acted on the merits in this case, adopted your position, but looked at the record in the trial court and thought, well, my golly, this defendant certainly should have objected to this evidence and didn't do so. Could he as a matter, could the district judge as a matter of federal law decide there was a waiver of the claim? Yeah, the, the, this rule is not jurisdictional. It does not, if a procedural default is there, the court, the federal court It's really court not jurisdictional not either way. If there's cause and prejudice, he can go ahead with it. But supposing 
there's neither the traditional cause nor prejudice uh, argument, and, but, but he thinks the, the, the last state court waived the procedural default and addressed the merits. Could he say, I don't think I even have to reach the merits because it's so clear to me that this, this argument was waived by the failure to make an objection? In, in that case, no, Your Honor. Because the, the issue of state procedural default is one for the state to decide and not the federal court. Whether a state... I know that's what most of these opinions say, but I've never been sure that made all that much sense. I would end by just asking this court to not go back on Harris versus Reed. It's only been the law a short time. And in fact, in California, the courts are now giving more detailed explanations for denial of habeas review. And it's working. And it's going to make everybody's burden lighter. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Jollis. Mr. Thompson, you have rebuttal. You have one minute remaining. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Your Honor, the district court did not send Mr. Nunemaker back to the state courts because it could not figure out what they were up to. It couldn't understand what Mr. Nunemaker was up to because, as indicated at page 83 of the joint appendix, he came to the district court and said, I have raised none of my claims on direct appeal in the state courts. That's why it was sent back for exhaustion. Uh, The respondent says, what burden does... uh, Footnote 12, imposing the state courts, I'd like to give an example. The Ninth Circuit's rule doesn't simply require uh, an unequivocal claim of default by the last state court rendering judgment. It has to do it in the last order it enters. So the California Supreme Court granted a hearing, claimed the default, and then came upon the case again on collateral attack, on habeas review, and issued a summary denial. The Ninth Circuit would hold under its interpretation of footnote 12 that they had waived the default they claimed in the first place. Why any court would do that is inexplicable to me, but I would like to point out that that that's quite contrary to the assurance given in Harris that a state court need do no more to preclude federal review on habeas than it need do on direct review. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Thompson. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until tomorrow at 10 o'clock.